Welcome to the Suffering Podcast. Each week, we walk you through how suffering is the way to sustainable success and the path to greatness. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. Visit thesufferingpodcast.com for complete details. Please subscribe and like to get our latest episodes as soon as they drop. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn for exclusive content. Please comment. We may read your comments on future shows or even reach out to you for a future guest appearance. Let's embrace how suffering forges bonds that last forever, showing we are never alone. So get so ready, get ready, sit down, sit down, and strap it, strap it. Sit your ass down, down. Sit your ass down, down. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start to pay the pain. Sit your ass down, down. Sit your ass down, down. Strap it, strap it. This is gonna hurt, gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt, gonna hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. This is gonna hurt. It's time for the Suffering Podcast. Dented Development Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to assist first responders and their families repair dents caused by suffering. Help us support the ones who take care of us selflessly. Dented things can still operate, but may not be as pretty as they once were. Make a difference and go to DentedDevelopmentProject.com to get involved today. Our heroes need our help. We all need a little relief from time to time. And there's a new product out there that I want you to go check out. It's called Heroes Relief Wine. This wine's going to benefit four organizations dedicated to relieving the heavy burdens that weigh on our military and first responders' shoulders. These are people who take care of us. It's time we start returning the favor. This wine's going to benefit Live Free Farm, a veteran-run and owned animal sanctuary dedicated to the healing of invisible scars through animal therapy. 23rd Hour Angels, the healing team is comprised of three beautiful women that rescue military and first responders from the burdens that trauma causes. Dented Development Project and the Suffering Podcast help repair dents caused by suffering in first responders and their families by showing how there is light in the end of the tunnel. So go to oldyorksellers.com and search for Heroes Relief Wine or check our show notes for the link. All new Suffering Podcast gear is here. The show depends heavily on our supporters to get the word out. Let people know that suffering is a team sport and no one is alone in their struggles. Wearing the Suffering Podcast merchandise accomplishes that goal. Check out our store at thesufferingpodcast.com or check our show notes for the link. Your support and love means everything to us. Balance is a loaded word that has multiple applications in assessing the world we operate inside. Physical balance allows us to stand up even after we're knocked down and allows us to keep moving forward in the right direction. Life balance is the exact same concept. Too heavy an emphasis on career will throw the trajectory of your family unit down an unwanted path 
Not enough drive towards your career will almost guarantee a mediocre professional life. Success will be short-lived and unsustainable if your balance is off. What's the point of a successful career without people to share your achievements? What good are you to your family if you're absent and can't provide for them? We need to suffer for that balance because that is the only way to get the most out of this life. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felace, and on this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we sit down with Derek Taylor from the band Overkill to discuss the suffering of a rock star. Derek has had to use balance to be the person we see here today. Derek, thank you very much for coming all this way to sit down with... I know you're tired of looking at this guy. You see him way too much. Not Actually, not enough. But you know what? I, I, mean, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him more. Before but. before we get into it, let's lose, use that term rock star loosely. Rock star. <laughs> what I mean, are you? You're a cock star, he, right? He's a, he's a rock star in his own mind. <laughs> yeah, pretty well, much. Well, you play with Overkill. It was described today, what I was reading, was the motorhead of thrash metal. Uh, that's that's kind of okay. I mean, you know, considering where Motorhead is in the world, you know what I'm saying, where you measure yourself against them, I wouldn't mind that. You like know? Mike is the RuPaul of men. I wouldn't, I, you know, to be honest with you, on like certain tequila nights, you know, RuPaul is actually not that bad looking. <laughs> uh, you, but- you've left with uglier people than RuPaul. I know that. <laughs> well, we, before we get into any of the fun here, Mike Mike and Derek know each other very well, so this is going to be a really fun episode. First time I met you was 1995. That was the... D. Snyder? No. Wrecking Your Neck Live in Asbury. In Asbury? That was 2001. Okay. Close. <laughs> <laughs> so I've known you Mike since is 2001. Also, Mike is also my accountant, too. He's <laughs> a, he does my taxes. <laughs> is he your... Is he your old... And it's strange because I have to owe the government every year, which is really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you is pay he... the government, the government pays me. Right. <laughs> uh, no, I think it was 2001. Because that's like the first year I joined a band. Yeah. And that's when I met you, down, yeah. in, down in Asbury. Down in Asbury. So you've been with Overkill for 20 years? Two decades. Holy yep. cow. Yeah, it's like a job almost. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I saw Overkill was started in 1980. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny about those bands that started in the early 80s. They're still around. And they're still making money. And they're still popular. Right. That's, that's a crazy thing in the music industry. Well, when they first started, they had to change the name of the band. To? <laughs> <laughs> the original name of the band was Lubricants. <laughs> <laughs> hey, which I like. Which I wouldn't. Okay. Uh, I, wouldn't. I, I don't know what kind of marketability that name has, but hey, listen, you got to go with it. Hey, listen, when you're, when you're 20 years old, you're, you're throwing anything out there. Hey, listen, as, as long as you get to play in front of the right audience. But let's get to this week's social media question, and it comes from James. And James says, if you had the opportunity to pick any career you wanted to transition into, what would it be? Now, Derek, you play on a top-level band in a in a forum that few people can possibly imagine. I mean, you're playing in front of tens of thousands of people. We have, yeah. So you're at the top of your game for your current profession. But if you had to choose something else, what do you think it would be? Military. Military, why? Without a doubt. I'm a very disciplined person. I like that type of, even though that I think that, you know, most people won't understand this, but I think that this business, the music business and military is kind of the similar type of thing. It's like a discipline that you, you yourself use. Well, it's got to be very regimented. Yeah. I mean, you're, you, you love to do something, play guitar or drums or whatever it is, and you give everything you got into that. You know what I'm saying? And I think that in the military branches, that 
would be the same type of thing because you would give everything you would have to do into that. You know what I'm saying? That, that you know, that answer coming from a musician, from mm-hmm. a rock star, from a heavy metal guitarist, that really blew me away. Yeah. Well, I never would have thought that answer would come out. Of, I mean, I thought maybe, hey, I'd like to be a doctor. I'd like to no. do this. Like, wow, military, that's something else. Yeah. Well, I always say is that is if I turn back to hands of time and that time that I grabbed that broomstick in my room and was playing Kiss songs, if that never happened, I would definitely be in the military. Was it off the Dynasty album? No, it was off. This was... Uh, <laughs> Dressed to kill. <laughs> no. I was made yeah, for no. loving you. Actually, the first Kiss record that I, I bought was the originals, that, that one, the three-pack of them. The trifold? Yeah. Then it was Dressed to Kill, I think it was. I, 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 I just remember that was my first intro into music. And so I always say that. I have the utmost respect for everything, military, police, first responders, every type of thing. I just think that the, that is people of that nature are kind of like musicians there's a certain breed of people there's a certain breed of of a person that wants to become a police officer there's a certain breed of guy that wants to be in the military and you know you get people that want to be in the military to get like you know a degree or anything like that or blah 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 but i really honestly think is that like when i watch things about like in the marines and the army and the rangers and all that stuff is like i see those guys and those guys are so focused and they are so on point Within their professional lives and their, you know, private lives. You know what I'm saying? And the funny thing about it is a successful military operator is going to be successful in no matter what they do. Just like you're a successful musician. If you chose, and I believe that success comes from work ethic. So whether, whether you're a successful, successful in the military or successful in, as a musician, you still have that common bond of being disciplined and you're ready to do the, put in the work. Sure. Now, Mike, what do you think? Just piggybacking off of what Derek said, uh, most people who can't become cops become musicians. (laughs) (laughs) We're smarter than that, you know what I'm saying? Because there's there's not a lot of uh, drugs and and, uh, girls and shows, you know what I'm saying? Mike, you're going to take it rough today. I know. (laughs) Strap in, buddy. I took it rough before we even started. You strap in. So what do you think you would want to do other than being a, a police officer? Obviously, you're not a police officer anymore, but what other career path do you think you would have chosen? Probably an anesthesiologist. <laughs> <laughs> Prior to coming in, Derek has given my son little little nuggets of information. He's like, don't be a musician. Right. Be an anesthesiologist. Collect your $80,000 paycheck and get to go home. Well, there's a there's a reason why I would... I. I used to I used to say professional sports agent, right? Mm-hmm. Don't get into the music. Hey, how do I get into the music business? Don't become a professional sports agent. You pick up the phone, you call somebody, you say, "Hey, this guy's going here. I collect ten percent." So the other day, me we was watching some YouTube video, and it was about the uh, Colts Neck Murders. I don't know if you yeah, I, do, I know what they are. Yeah. So that's literally a mile, two miles away from my house. I totally know exactly. The, the, the family got killed and it was lit on, was the house lit on fire? I yes. Think. Yeah, yeah. And the brother did it and this and that, blah, 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 whatever the case may be. So when you're watching that YouTube video, you get other recommendations for other YouTube videos, right? There's like all these YouTube videos about like these million dollar, billion dollar houses in, you know, in Colts Neck because it's like insane over there. So I clicked on one of them and it's this husband and wife. They have two kids and they live in in a 31,000 square foot house. Holy they cow. have a $2 million ice skating rink 
in their back. And you know what they do for a living? They're anesthesiologists. <laughs> I know the downside of that. And the only, you have to carry an enormous amount of liability insurance. Sure. Because they kill people all the time. Sure. sure. But my, in, and like watching this thing is like, you know, I say to myself, I'm going, how much is enough? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> is like, okay, what is, you know, your, your overhead per month to keep that ice going? The taxes alone have got to be insane. Yeah, it's got to be like. Hundred thousand dollars, hundred grand. Uh, that's right. that's one surgery, right? <laughs> but you know what? My, my and it was just like watching those types of things actually makes me a better person. And the reason why I say that is because I understand that I will never live above my means, <laughs> and the simplest things in this world keep me happy. You know what I'm saying? It's never been like a drive for success. Well, I think I think people like that who live in those those million dollar houses, those multi multi million dollar houses, they're not any happier than I am. No. They just got more space to be miserable in. Right. You know, they're they're normal people, and they think because I know a few of those people, and they think by having all of these possessions, that's going to fill that hole inside. Yeah, it makes them you know. But to me, you know what that is? That's a gigantic toilet of money you, right. you have to so furnish it's a money it pit. yeah you have to furnish it you have to heat it Heating you have it. to cool it Heating you it have alone. to clean it you have to do and i'm like what you know what are you bringing in a month you know whatever i mean that's totally fine but i sit there and i watch that and i said you know i have a 21 square twenty one thousand square foot house you know nothing whatever nice Comfortable. I'm happy. Exactly. Yeah, you're all right. <laughs> two car garage, got a shed, got a truck, got a motorcycle. I got a deck. I got three bedrooms, two bathrooms. I am happy as a clam. Well, that's what I say all the time. I got a 2005 Jeep with 186,000 miles on it. Love it. Right. Love it. I don't need anything more. I'm not a BMW guy. I'm not a Mercedes guy. I'm not trying to prove who, I, who I'm not. And I grew up in an eight or 900 square foot house. Right. All right. The house I currently live in, I think it's it's around 3000 somewhere around there bougie it no it's i don't <laughs> like having this big of a house i don't and there's rooms i don't even go in that we don't even use right. what's the point yeah that's what i'm saying it's what's like why have a, a th oh this is our great room wow that's great yeah, it's great <laughs> it's great all right you know what a bigger house does <laughs> don't, the, don't sit on room? <laughs> don't sit on a couch don't you know right. yeah, yeah. you know what the benefits of having a bigger house are you get to build out a podcast studio that's pretty much well it. that's pretty much that's but i think sometimes is that that is uh, an investment and i totally get it on the investment level mm -hmm. but i mean like it's it's insane to me it right. really is it's like okay you know like you just said they can't be happy no. they can't because uh, this is not enough you know it's not enough it's like you know well we need a bigger house we need this we need another big car you know it's like i don't well, know man you you see you see this a lot with 50 something men Okay, they'll go out and they'll have that midlife crisis and they'll go get a sports car or mm -hmm. a Porsche or something like that. Here's where he takes a jab at me. But go ahead. <laughs> well, you have neither. So actually, I was going to pay you a compliment, you dick. I mean, now, now I'm, forget it. It's gone. But you see them go out to get, get that expensive sports car. You know that there's something changing in their life that they're not happy about. Either they got a little dick or they want to be Mike Felice, whatever it is. Right. When that was the jab. That was the jab. But whatever it is, you know they're not happy. Right. So they think they're going to get this item that's going to make them happy, and it ends up never doing it. And they could also be in that position where they are – they knew, like, when they were growing up that they had to they had to make a living, had to provide for a family. You know, maybe what they're doing right now, they're, it's not what they really wanted to do. And I'll give you a prime example of that. My father, God rest his soul, was a genius, an absolute genius with numbers – 
drawings, everything. He wanted to be an architect so badly. Like that was his thing. Like if you saw him draw these things out, he wanted to be an architect. But he couldn't pay for college back in the 40s. So he joined the Navy, did his term in the Pacific and, you know, got out of the Navy. And he wanted to get married and start a family. He didn't want to take on the burden of going to college and do all this. So he went to and he got a job at the telephone company, Bell Telephone. And from there, he became an engineer. But he always wanted to be an architect. And then fast forward it to where Guy came into the picture because they adopted me in um, 66. He's not like my blood father. So we're not compatible, you know, genes and everything like that. But when I became of age and I decided what I wanted to do, it was all or nothing. Sent me to a private school for four, for four years because he wanted me to get an education because he was always in that mindset is that whatever you want to do, you always need something to fall back on. I vehemently, vehemently, I say that that's not the case. You shouldn't do that. You're talking about the plan B scenario. Yes. When you have a plan B, it's real easy to give up on plan A. One billion percent. And from the moment that I bought my first guitar, first amp, got together with my guys and everything, we started playing and everything like that, there has never been a, there has never been a plan B. Never. It was always this. And my goal was not to make a million dollars, not to do anything, not to live in a big fancy house, not to, you know, be like a rock star or whatever it is. Throw TVs out the window and right. lots of strippers. No. <laughs> Been there, done that. No comment. That, uh, that may have happened <laughs> once or twice. But um, the thing was, is that there was never any plan B. It was all or nothing. My focus was on that. And for example, is like a bunch of the kids that I went, I played in bands with when we were growing up, our first bands is my two best friends were, you know, a drummer and a, and a singer, you know, they got to a level, they played and played, and I went off and I played with this band and this and that. And what happened was, is they wanted to start a family and get married. The one drummer is like, you know, an executive for Siemens now. And the other guy is like, you know, a paving company manager. When we used to get together, because one of them passed away, um, when we used to get together, they would ask me all the time, say, how's things going, man? How's it going? You know why? It's because they made, that was their plan B. They wouldn't go forward with that. Well, you, you made that, that conscious choice to continue on something that you really had a passion for. And now these two guys have a friend that is a guitarist for one of the top heavy metal bands. They're living vicariously yeah. through them now. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what I, I, what I was trying to, like, this kind of ties into what you asked me before about them. It, it's all or nothing. Mm. It's either there is, there is no failure. There is no failure when you're trying to do what you want to do and make your dream come true or possess a career or do something. There is no failure. It's You'll stretch it pretty thin. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, I know that you I know, know that for a fact. If you take that failure and you say, oh man, I, you know, I, 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 we didn't, we didn't put 200 people in the club. Let's just disband and I'll go pick up garbage and I'll do this and do that and blah, blah, blah. You lost. You totally lost. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not failing. That's part of this process. And that's why I say about right, that. Right. Because what you're doing is you're figuring out, you're looking, you're taking a step back. You're doing an after action report, which military does all the time. One billion percent. You get an after action report. Okay. So we did, we put up this many flyers last time and we did this type of advertising and we played this, this, uh, set. Well, let's, let's take a look at all these things. Could we improve something that we did? Is there some way that we could get more people in or engage more people? Right. So yes, 
I've learned, I've said this before, I've learned much more from my failures than I have from my victories. Well, absolutely. That's why he's so smart now, because <laughs> he has failed a lot. I have failed a lot. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say it. Well, they, they, you know, one of the one of the things that I've I always say is that when we, I'm talking about you know my career and everything like that, I said it's a I'm not going to get this quote correctly, but you're going to kind of understand where I'm going at. Is uh, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb? I know this one, right? And he said one time, he goes, "I know ten thousand ways not to make a light bulb. Yes, I know one way to make a light bulb, and that blew my mind yep. because it is so true. Because ten thousand failures." one success. So there is, it's like, if there's a problem, it's not a real problem. There's only real solutions. You follow what I'm saying? There's a solution to that. Well, you know, that's like the overnight sensation theory. You know, you you see all these bands and they say, oh, these guys are overnight sensations. They come out with a song and all of a sudden it, it, you know, it hits the top 40 or whatever, but they don't see the background in it. You know, they they don't see all the hard work you did to get to where. Yeah. Well, I think that that kind of builds a character too. Yeah. It's you know. Well, you can tell the manufactured musicians. You you think you're going to really hear of Nicki Minaj in twenty years? <laughs> Millie Vanilli, right? <laughs> well, that's why they. That's a lot of the reasons why those people act like that. My my whole theory on all of that stuff is that it's it's basically like any other job or career choice that you want to do. If I was to pick you up right now. And drop you into the head of IBM, having you make $350,000 a year and said, here's your new job. You'd be like, what am I doing? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. What, what am I doing? You haven't, because in, in all honesty, you'll never appreciate given that gift of musician or IBM executive had you not worked your way up through the ranks. Right. It, it, your, your character is built, you know, as if you hand 22-year-olds or 18-year-olds uh, a multi-million dollar contract and put them out on the road and say, here, how many, how many horror stories have you heard even back in the day from famous bands? It's like, our manager took all our money. Our manager took all our money. Our manager, our record company did this and that because you, you, you they don't understand that. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And I mean, Overkill's not a multi-platinum band or anything, but we do make You've a living. Been around forty-one years, yeah, but we do make a living playing music, and that was our whole. That's our whole entire goal. If we, multi-platinum albums come, that's part of the parcel. It's not what we're geared for. We just want to do our thing and make our living. That's what we want to do and have fun doing it. You know, you know it, it's funny. You know, like Kevin said, I've, I've been friends with Overkill pretty much since the beginning. That's why they don't have a multi-platinum record. <laughs> pretty much, huh? <laughs> I was talking to Blitz one day, Overkill's lead singer, and I think they signed like a five-record deal with Nuclear Blast or something like that. Uh, yeah. And he said to me, he goes, this means I'll never have to work another day in my life. I was like, you know, I mean, that was that was like deep, you know? I mean, it is work to you, but it's not like you have to go out and get a job. Well, you do what you love. I was always told, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Well, yeah, it's absolutely true. You have something that you're passionate about. If this band wasn't passionate for either one of those two guys, and there is a monetary level on all of this stuff too, is I don't think they'd be doing it. I wouldn't be doing it is if I don't, if I didn't enjoy being with those guys and, you know, doing records and doing shows and, you know. The, the the greatest part about being in that band is not really the music. The greatest part about the band, aside from Mike Felice, is it's the is being part of something, which leads me back to the military aspect. Right. You're 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 a, you're a part of a tribe. You're a team. 
Yeah. You're a part of something. You are you as your individual, okay, with your drive and your determination and your skills and everything like that. You're part of a team to go out, do a show, do a tour, mission complete. That's, Entertain the hell out of people. Yeah. That's what I love about this band more than more than anything is the relationship that I have with the guys in the band. It's, you, you know, I do want to find out a little bit of background on you, but, sure. I, but I do want to know this one point before we move on. Mm-hmm. So Mike and I have been doing this show for over, over a year now. And there had been times when we have affected people. Somebody will come up to us. Somebody will reach out to us and say, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. And it's very private. It's usually through messages or whatever. Sure. And it makes us feel really, like it's that special feeling. Sure. You're out there playing and you affect and you catch one person just being totally entertained by the show that you're putting on. Sure. Is it a similar feeling that, like that? I'm trying to feel yeah. what it's like to be a rock star just well, for once in my life. You know, Derek's still trying to feel that. Too. <laughs> I've been tw- doing it for 20 years. I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really, and sometimes uh, maybe you can, it's an uncomfortable feeling for me whenever somebody gives us, gives me praise to that aspect. Is because you're trying to stay humble. That's why. Well, I've never been that type of guy. You know, it's like, even if I'm doing something and in the house or I'm doing something for somebody, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm fixing your your pipes or, you know, you, you need a ride to the airport or whatever. I'm going to do it because that's the type of person I am. And I like you. If I didn't like you, I'd tell you to go fuck yourself sideways. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? You know, you say thank you and this and that, blah, blah, blah. And like, I, I always say, it's like, no thanks needed. This is what I do. And there's been, you know, tons of kids, you know, even on Instagram, they text, they DM me and they, um, they say, you know, you're the reason why I started playing guitar. You're great. And I'm like, I'm just some clown, you know what I'm saying? Some 55 year old clown that plays guitar in a thrash metal band. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, Mike and I are just two clowns <laughs> having people listen to what our opinions are. On but things. you know, it, it's, it, sometimes it's a little bit uncomfortable, but it is flattering in a way that, you know, that I, what I have done for the past 20 years sparked something in somebody, you know, well, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift to, to elicit a positive emotion out of somebody. And I think that's what it is, whether it's your words make somebody tear up because it touches them or sure. it makes them happy. It gives them joy. That's a gift. Right. That's a gift. Not everybody has it. Right. Even like well, what you're doing right now is the, what you're talking about, your whole platform for this suffering podcast is that not a lot of people, you know, when it comes down to putting yourself out there, even on a podcast or anything like that, not a lot of people do that. And what I was told way back when is that being in the entertainment industry, whether you're being an actor or, you know, a musician or something is to... Be in front of other people and not to have that fear. You know what I'm saying? So, like, there's tons of people out that are listening to this, that watch us play, that can't do this. You know what I'm saying? And that that's the attention that it brings to them. And they're like, oh, my God, this is, I'm thankful for this. You know what I'm saying? This moved me in some sort of way. This made me think a little bit differently. Right. This changed, you know, not drastically maybe, but it changed a little piece of my life. And that's, that's flattering to me, but it's a little bit still, like, kind of a, a, like, I'm just some jerk off from jersey you yeah, know what you i'm know, saying and, and, it, and it's funny too because you know being around overkill for so long Derek is not like a center of attention guy like, it's tough to get him in here like we've been talking for six months like meet and greets before the th- i know they're your, the worst part of the show for you yeah i mean sometimes it is so you know i never usually do interviews 
on anything. I mean, every record, every cycle, every tour, whatever, people always ask me about, you know, doing interviews and doing interviews. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not that type of guy. Uh, you know, I'm just like the kind of guy that just hangs out in the back. I'll come out and shake your hand, say hello, and take the photos with the kids and the wives and, you know, the cows and the chickens, whatever you want to do. <laughs> but you're, yeah. you're an articulate guy. I don't understand that. Yeah. It's just not my thing. It really isn't. It's just like, and plus the fact a lot of the times is that when it, when it came to guitar wise is, you know, I mean, I've only been playing guitar for, I've, I've only played guitar in overkill. I played bass and D Snyder and this and that, blah, 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 whatever the case. But you know, if you're going to ask me a guitar thing about overkill, you talk to Dave. Don't ask me, <laughs> do Dave, have Dave do the interview. I don't want to do that. I mean, Blitz and I have done a couple interviews a couple times, like way back when, like 15 years ago. But you're the type of person that really does need to get out there and do the interview because there's not many people out there that can do music professionally for 40 years with the same, you know, as a group. And not change. And not change. Right. And, and still hold on to the same sure. type of music. It seems like you're really grounded in your perspective of what a rock star is. It's a hardworking person who makes a living at music. Yeah. All right, so you, you have that grounded thing. They're not making a movie like The Dirt about you because oh, it doesn't no. sound like you've lived that... Smarter than that. Yeah. <laughs> Way smarter than that. Listen, I can and, make... not, and, not, and not on that level, too. Yeah. I, I can make a movie about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that comes with the territory. Right. You know, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure that there are certain portions to, to being a musician... I've seen I've seen the girls because you don't have to be a good looking guy as long as you get to play you play lead guitar Slash is like a you know some something, something yeah, really wrong yeah. with him yeah I mean he, just look at Derek right right I'm lucky to I'm lucky to have Lenore you got I was just gonna you say you got to see his fiance I'm, Lenore uh, I'm he so lucky to have her he outkicked his coverage unbelievable <laughs> well when you see a guy with a good looking woman there's two things you say it's either he's hung like a horse or he's got a million dollars yeah. in the bank. And probably it's the latter of the two. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But or yeah. but there's the caveat, and and the end to that is there's the caveat. Yeah. If you're a musician, it just bumps you up. Oh yeah. 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 Well, it comes back to that whole entire thing. What I was saying to you about you know a person on stage is like it's a focal point. It's an attention. A lot of people they they see that you're willing to have show no fear. And go out there because, you know, all the people that are, you know, coming to watch you is if you brought them up on stage and told, and put the guitar around them and said, go sing a song, they'd be like, I, I, I can't do this. You know what I'm saying? Right. Public speaking, I can't do this. And you know what I, it's that aspect, that outgoing personality. There's, there's gotta be, we're, we're talking about, you know, obviously I'm talking about Motley Crue with the dirt and stuff like that. Cause I know I've read that book mm -hmm. and I know that movie wasn't reality. A lot of it was, you know, mixed in here and there. So what have you found out? What, how have you found the realities versus the myths of the music industry? I mean, is it live, live fast, die young, leave a good looking corpse? Or like you just explained to me, you actually brought it in a little bit where, you know, it's a lot more work than you think it is. Well, it is. Here's the thing is that like, you know, you can look at bands like all the eighties hair bands, like Motley Crue and, you know, like all of that partying and everything like that. And winger. Well, yeah. <laughs> White I mean, lion. But you know what? I mean, it's, it's part and parcel to the, the job that you're doing. You're putting uh, individuals that never had this freedom or this success into a position. And that's why you'll see a lot of those bands now was like, you know, you see guys like, you know, when we, I was in my twenties and thirties, you know what I'm saying? There was drinking and drugs and all of that stuff. You get older, you start having a family, you start settling down and you're like going, 
I can't continue on this path or I'm going to be dead. Well, now, now when you go to shows, do you actually cut the Metamucil with a credit card before you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mix it into the 43 and then I drink it. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the thing about Overkill is they don't have this big management company. No. Really? Right? We're self-managed, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're no self-managed. Yep. So they have to pretty much stay, you know, they, they can't get like face down drunk after a show. It's like a business to do after a show. You know, they don't have Doc McGee, you there's, know, yeah, coming in where Doc McGee comes in and does everything for, you know. Yeah, there's there's times for that. There's times to let loose is because, you know, you're you're doing this. The, yeah. la- the last show of the tour, usually in Jersey. Oh, that, those are those are like my, <laughs> those are nightmare shows for us because it's just chaos. It's like, we we always say, it's like we would always want to do uh, a, like a last show in like Lincoln, Nebraska, where nobody knows us is because when we pull into Jersey, the guest list is like 7,000 miles long. It's like, uh, by the time I get on stage, my voice is shot from talking to everybody that we've seen 10,000 times, you know, and it's like, it's crazy. But, uh, getting back to that is that the reality of all of that stuff is, is that I think that, um, there is probably in I haven't lived that lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? I've lived my own lifestyle. So I don't, I'm on like a smaller end, not on a higher end, but I think that the, the reality it, it's kind of, you can kind of compare them both. I mean, yeah, there is a reality to that, but there's also an end point to that. And I think that that's when we never thought about the end point. You know what I'm saying? Is like, if you look at bands today, you rewind the hands of time and you look at, uh, like Motley Crue, like back then it's like, you know, they're all, you know, they, they went through their periods of time where, you know, this one hated that one. This one hated that one. They threw Vince out. They got John Karabi, then this and that, blah, blah, blah. And they were going to, they had somebody in between Karabi and when Vince, you know, returned, yeah, I they, think, but whatever the case, you know what right, I'm saying? I do. I do. I do. It's like, that's, well, that's, that, that's an ego thing. Like that's, well, an, that's an ego thing between them. Because they, they, but do you have that same issue when you're out on tour and somebody's ego gets the better of them? We don't have that. You don't really. O- overkill. Um, when I tell you straight up, overkill has no ego. Zero. Everybody is. The exact same. The exact same. That's why we've been together or Dave and I have been in this band for 20 years is because all five of us are the same. Except Jason is a little bit. Well, Mike, you've probably seen (laughs) ego get in the way of a lot of stuff just from working at Lemoore's. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, that's a killer. Plenty of of bands. It's a killer. I've always said is like, because when I was touring with D. D. Snyder, by the way. Let's let's make that clear. This is D. Snyder of Twisted Sister, one of the ugliest human beings I've ever seen on the planet, but he can sing. Right. Derek made him look better. (laughs) 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 But uh, but I, I would talk to him all the time and, you know, about Twisted. You know, because there was such animosity in that band. Really? It, it, yeah, oh my I, God. I mean, JJ yeah, and Eddie Ojeda and all those guys. Everybody. AJ. Everybody hated D in that band. They hated him. They Why? absolutely hated him because D did all the work. D wrote, D wrote all the music, all the words. So everything was his. And when it came down time to, you know, that's, that's the part of this business that you have to kind of understand. We could be, us four could start a band and we could write all these great songs, but if you're writing all the songs and, and me and Mike are just like going, oh, okay, we're along for the ride. Bottom line, at the end of the day, you own them. You follow what I'm saying? So there was this big animosity between Twisted and I don't want to get into the whole entire story, but they would, they would not travel together. Like this one would be like, I'm not standing in the same room with this one and this one. And they continue to play. And I'm like, 
how on God's green earth can you do this? And, you know, I, I, I well, could Well, that's never, why Twisted Sister is not playing any more shows for they, they, years. They stand on stage looking buddy-buddy. Right. You know, and, and then, then you know, go backstage and they all have different dresses. Yeah, it's rooms. like Joey and Johnny Ramone right. hated each other's <laughs> guts. They hated each other. They could not, they like couldn't even be in the same room together. They get up on stage and they play. And it's for the band and everything like that. I, You're seeing that with with a lot of different bands, longevity bands like Fleetwood Mac. I, I think they ju- they're suing uh, Lindsey Buckingham and sure. And, uh, well, what about Kiss? I mean, how many how many people have gone through Kiss? But how could you? You know, I mean, it's got to be. It's got to be really stressful unless you're at a kiss level where, you know what, you could take your own bus, you could do this, but like on a smaller level, like us as if we're touring together and you know what I'm saying? And it's like, you know, we're just a couple schlubs from Jersey, you know, it's like, how do you stay away from somebody? And like, it doesn't that make your job more stressful? It's got to be a nightmare work it, environment. Right. Well, it, you know, what's so funny. Like, like I said, I've been around overkill quite a long time, just like going backstage at a show. Everybody's just in one room. You know, everybody's family gets along and every, you know, the wives know the wives, the kids know the kids, everybody, you know, and it's just like such a, and I could walk over to talk to Derek and then go talk to Blitz and then go talk to Didi, go talk to Jason, go talk to Dave. I mean, everybody is so level and, and just real people. Right. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. How many bands it is, is that go out on the road. They do like a tour or something like that, or like they get together and they're at a place and then they just all scatter. That's bizarre to me because like. For example, is if we if we were doing a festival, right, or a bunch of festivals, and we flew to Germany, and we landed in the hotel, we all get in the hotel, and it's like, I'll text Vernie, and I'll say, hey, listen, five o'clock, I'll text you, we'll come down, we'll have dinner. And then Jason will chime in, and maybe Blitz will come down, and we'll all sit at this table for hours. Not your agent calls my agent, and we'll try to work something. No. <laughs> You understand yeah, what I'm saying? It's yeah. not like, you know, the bass player is down there. He's eating by himself and you know the, the other guitar player went out and did his thing. You know, sometimes we do that, but most of the times it's like, we really enjoy each other's company. It's, Which is bizarre. It is bizarre. Especially it, as long as you guys have been together. Yeah. And, and that's probably part of the reason why it works so well right. is because we're so similar. And they can know? feed off of each other. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like a team, just like I said, you know what I'm saying? Is like, that's the purpose of all of this stuff. Aside from all this sunshine and rainbow shit that you're feeding me about the rock star <laughs> I mean, life, you know we we, right? we were gonna we wanted some dirty stories. Well, I need just... I need mm-hmm. some real good stories of the road. What's the wildest thing that's ever happened to you while you're on tour in the capacity? Or, or let's of just say music. the wildest thing you saw, because I know you wouldn't get involved in it. Oh, there's there's a <laughs> bunch of things. I would probably have to say one of the. Well, I have two right off the the bat. They're kind of violent, but <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Played this show in um, Chile. You're in South America. And one of the things is that you realize, I don't know if you've ever been down to South America or. I've been. No, I haven't been to South America. Yet. But you've been out of the country, Correct. right? Yes. Oh, right. I've okay. been down to South Jersey. Right. So when you go out of the country, you know what I'm saying? You go to another country. It's like, you're not in America anymore and nobody gives a flying fuck about you. Yeah. The first time I went to Puerto Rico, I realized there's a lot of Puerto Ricans. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And they named the place after them too. How how convenient. How's this happen? But we were playing in uh, this club. It's like a really weird type of club. So we pull up to the club and these barn doors open and there's the front entrances over here, right? The barn door entrances open and that's where that's where the band goes to get to the dressing room it's like a corridor where you're actually walking through the state like in front of the stage where all the audiences are getting the back room 
so we're playing this fest and we're playing a show and me and blitz are we're sitting outside of the dressing room because we didn't want to smoke inside where because this is when me and blitz smoked uh we're standing outside the dressing room we're having a cigarette that barn door and the front entrance are the only entrances in that club there's no back door there's no nothing we're just sitting here talking and all of a sudden one of the security guards comes running in clutching his neck covered in blood what? and we were like what another guy comes in holding his chest security guards and like you know tuxedos and everything like that medics come running in and we're like what the hell's going on so our tour manager says there's a riot outside what there's a riot outside they're turning over cars because the promoter oversold the show and there's people outside that can't get in so they're rioting and i'm saying to myself the only way out of this place is through that crowd I'm, we're trapped. That was probably one of the scariest points or scariest things that I've ever encountered on uh, it because I didn't know what was going to go happen. Was this a multi-band show or was it just yeah. to see you? Yeah, it was a multi. It was it, no, it was like us and two local acts from Chile. If I was in that situation, I would have said, okay, this act go play to the crowd outside and calm them down. And then this act play to the crowd that's inside and then we'll flip. Yeah, but it was. Yeah, it but was they, they went there to see Overkill. Right. right. You know, not the two local. When guys. you see two guys running in, one, and what happened was, is the security guards were trying to push the people, they were trying to bust through the door. They busted the glass in the door, and one of the guys took a piece of glass and jabbed the guy in the neck. Holy cow. We were like, we got to get out of here or things have got to calm down because we had no way to get out. There was no back door. The door to get out of that club was through that mob. And we were like, <laughs> I said, I don't want to die in Chile. You know what I'm saying? Because anything could have happened. They could have started a fire in the club. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, they could have busted through and just. Especially if the club's packed, they start a fire in there. Now you got, uh, you got the it's white, crazy. Sna- you got the white snake. No, great, great white. Great white. Great white. Yeah. 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 There was a lot of there was a lot of bad behavior going on throughout the career. Absolutely. Of course, you were you stayed there and just like parented everybody. I, I know you did not. I completely into- told everybody this is the wrong behavior to do. <laughs> well documented. Stop I, I, being I, children, guys. <laughs> right. Come on now. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's it, it happens with everybody. You know, I, you know, it's like one of those things. It's why it's, do you think it happens so much with with musicians? Is it because they're on the road all the time, away from what they consider reality? Um, I think that it's, uh, again, it's part of that mentality. Um, you're a young kid. You know what I'm saying? You give a 19 or 21-year-old a uh, ticket on a tour bus and drag him across the country with free booze and free drugs. You're, it's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Jesus, let, let me give him all this stuff. Let me see what happens. Right. You know, Just an you give him that freedom. You know, he's he's from Paramus, New Jersey, and all of a sudden he's in Miami. You know what I'm saying? And he's playing to all the, and it's just, it's, it's there. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, if you had that opportunity, I don't think anybody would not do that. The, I grew there up. Are cer- there are certain people that, that don't, but I think part of that, you know, and going through all of that stuff, it's almost like, what I was saying before is that there's an end point to all of that stuff because, you know, my kid, my woman, my home, my family is way more important than any of that. It's way more stable. A lot of that stuff is just unstable. Would you say your, your attitude towards the music industry is the exception or the rule by, by far percentage? You know, I'll say this, the older music fans, the younger ones, like in their twenties and everything. I mean, Overkill's all in all in their fifties and everything else. I mean, it's 
totally different atmosphere from you're when right. I first it's, met Overkill. It's like like Derek said, you know, you give a twenty one year old, you know, free booze, free drugs, loose women, they're gonna go crazy. Overkill shows now backstage, it's all family. And <laughs> all old men. <laughs> Prior to the pandemic. Some of them still have long hair, you know, <laughs> right. try, trying to grasp onto that lifestyle. Right. Prior to the pandemic, I had I had tickets for my son and I to go see Motley Crue. Okay. All right. Motley Crue was playing with Def Leppard. Uh, I think Joan Jett. I think Poison was playing, but I, I wanted to go see. I've seen Motley Crue many times. Sure. And it's I had, band to see, but, but I, mean, I, I had, well, not anymore. Vince, well, we, Vince, we, we played with them a couple times. Vince Neil looks like he's, he's inflated. Oh, yeah. He looks like the abominable uh, 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 heat miser guy. Face work and shit. Yeti. It looks awful. Yeah. But I had to prep my son because the, the, I don't know if it's going to be still be the same way when I went in the, in the eighties and early nineties, but you know, the weed, smell of weed, you're going to see a lot of topless women and this, the, you're going to hear lots of dirty words. Yeah. Now I don't know because you're going to have fi- nobody wants to see a fifty or sixty year old topless woman, you know, outside outside of the bedroom. Right. But I don't know whether it's going to be the same way. When you first started with Overkill, yep. or let's say when you first started with D. Snyder, yes, was that that stuff was around? Right, you smelled the weed, you, you saw the topless, you saw the topless women. One billion percent. Let's move. Let's fast forward. <laughs> let's fast forward. Do you see the hangers coming out? Now, yeah, uh, you have to understand one thing about an overkill show. <clears throat> There's a running joke. What has 10,000 legs and two tits? <laughs> an overkill show. <laughs> uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's an awesome. So, but you know, Blitz, Blitz is the original singer, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Blitz right. and Didi are the originals. How the hell has he not blown out his vocal cords the way he sings? Well, he, uh, I don't know that. But I can probably say it's just that's what he does. Well, he did have that stroke on stage that one time, right? Yeah, he did. But that no didn't... wonder. I mean, he's got he's singing at such a pitch yeah. that I don't understand how he holds it. Well, I mean, that's you know, like that's his muscle. That's his that's his tool. That's his you know that's part of his brain, part of his hands. It's but you know what? If you, if you talk to Blitz, his singing voice is like his regular voice. Uh, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he he. But he sang. He sang a, a lot different on the first two records than he did than he does now. He he sang. He sang really up high, falsetto-y kind of, you know, really up high. And now, I always say this, and not because the guy is one of my best friends on this planet, but there will never, ever, ever be another guy that sounds like Bobby Blitz. You could put you could put on ten thousand songs right now. Put on an overkill song, and immediately you could tell his voice. Well, it's that's so like, that's like Journey. Yes. They, 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 re, they replace their singer with the Japanese guy. He sounds right? he actually sounds, sounds exactly he like sounds him. Pretty sounds good. exactly you, you like could, him. You could never duplicate. You could definitely you never never do it. He's Be, got such a unique voice. The reason I'm getting there is you see a lot of these bands that that are in the business for a long time. Mm-hmm. The 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 lead singer, you go there, and it's such a disappointment. Axl Rose, Guns N' Roses came back. It's uh, like, oh, oh man, that's that's awful. Mike, you recently saw them in concert, yeah, right? Yeah. It's, it's a stadium. sin. It's almost like you don't want to go. It's embarrassing. It. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, you know, we know that you put out one of the greatest records of, of all time, you know, Appetite mm-hmm. for Destruction sold 30 million records. Okay. We know that you're a verified rock star. And you know what, to be honest with you is like, he, he can do that is because he has the finances behind him to do that. You understand right. what I'm yes, saying? Like he can act like a total jerk off on stage and people will still come and see them. 
You know what, what I'm saying? I understand he was always a jerk off, but that's that, I don't right. know. My personal opinion: Why be like that? Okay. We all know you're Axl Rose and you're great. We okay? Like, just why don't you just go out there and these people that spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on tickets for you just just go out there and do your thing? They want to be entertained. That's the reason why. And I say this all the time: is like whenever I see. Lenore shows these things to me all the time because she reads Blabbermouth and it's like, see what this one says about this, you know, about like, you know, politics or the pandemic or whatever it is, you know, oh, this person came out look what he said. And I'm like, listen, shut up <laughs> and entertain me. That's all I want you to do. I don't, you know, whatever. Axel Rose. I don't want to know your party affiliation and I don't want to know your a stance on the Second Amendment. I want you to put out a record and have me sing along to that's all I want. If I bump into you and we're hanging out and we're having a drink, then we can have that kind of Now I understand why you don't want to do interviews. Well, now I get it. Because uh, get up there and play your play your song and entertain me. Right. That's what I <laughs> There you, you know, go. Elvis said that. So Elvis said that they started you got to remember this is late 60s early 70s Vietnam War political movement and somebody had asked Elvis once about his political affiliations and he, what he said was I'm just an entertainer, man. Right. That's all I am as an entertainer. That's you're absolutely right. And that's the way it should be. Right. You know, because I think that uh, sometimes is, especially in this climate today and the way, you know, social media has kind of run everybody's life because we now revolve all around that is that that is that's gearing all these people to be one upping each other and not they don't want to be out of the crowd. They don't want to be doing this. They want to be doing that. You know, and it, it drives me crazy because who cares? The whole point of being in a rock band is to do this. Fuck you to everybody. I'm doing what I'm doing. That's you punk know? rock, bro. That's right. some punk rock shit right there. Right. But, you know, to sit there and say, oh, well, you know, uh, this is this is the norm. And if like, you know, if I say something out of context or offend somebody, then I'm going to get canceled. Fuck you. <laughs> Hurry up. Put me at the top of the list. You know what I'm saying? But you, being in music for as long as you did, you have a whole different wrinkle. You you touched on something earlier. Your family and your stability behind your music career has been your rock. One billion percent. And after speaking with you, I, I have a lot of respect for you because you're at the top of your game as a musician and you're taking care of a son at home right. and your son has... Cerebral, special needs cerebral palsy yes explain a little bit about your son can you imagine this mike you got you got a son with special needs at home and you have to go out and work and provide because the care for cerebral palsy is probably not cheap listen i've seen um, it i've seen it firsthand it's derek not only is he a friend of mine he's one of the greatest people i ever met he really is i mean for what he does that's pretty badass man that's the most badass you can thing you can do as a rock star is take care of your son and well, still do what you love well yeah i mean here's the thing about all that stuff is i was a dad at a very young age okay uh 23 24 uh, coming from a background when i was 23 or 24 i never knew family i never knew if i had brothers or sisters cuz i was adopted do you have brothers and sisters? I have a brother. You have a brother. So you have, you grew up with them, you know, and you have brothers and sisters and everything like that. So you kind of grew up with them. I never had that. I had like, like the people that my dad told me that this is your aunt is not really my aunt. You know what I'm saying? When I got to an age to kind of start really finding that stuff out, it felt a little weird, um, you know, dating, you know, 
various girls in high school. I would go to their house and there would be all their brothers and sisters. And it would be like, you know, I, I don't have any, I have best friends, you know what I'm saying? That I think are brothers, but, but here's the, here's the thing is being a young dad, finding out that your child is, uh, has special needs and is, I don't really like to say handicapped, but he's going to be, he's going to require, uh, supervision for his entire life. And I don't like the word handicap either. That's why I, I, I try. But not to I, use I think that. sometimes, yeah. I mean, sometimes it's a word that you can't. I, I, it's not that I get offended by it, or I, it's like he's, you know, special needs is a little bit better. Handicapped because he needs to, special attention. Yeah, I, you know, handicapped. I guess you could say because part of his brain doesn't really kind of gel like ours and everything. But so at an early age, it was. I never had this connection. I never had like a connection to a brother. Mm -hmm. I loved my parents more than anything in this world. They were the greatest people. They gave me the gift of life. They gave me every opportunity. I love them to death, but it wasn't like my thing. When I had my son and dealing with all of that stuff and just like kind of holding him and just like looking at him and then just seeing him as young and kind of developing and then finding out that he was at it, turned a switch into my, in, in, in my brain. It was like, my life is completely different now. It is 100% different because now I live every breath that I take is for this child. And it's when people say like, like there's been thousands of times when people say, do you have any kids? And I said, yeah, I have a child and he's, um, he's special needs. And they say, oh, I'm sorry. And I was like, well, what do you, there's no reason to be sorry is because, I, it's a gift. It's the gift. It's a gift. But there's also, you know, it's a give and take on a type of thing. The way Derek is. Derek is the name of your son. Correct. The way he is, he'll be like that for the rest of his life. Okay. He'll definitely need constant care for the rest of his life. And he's how old now? He's 32. 32. But the, you know, the trade-off is, is that that kid worships me. That kid is, I'm his life. You know what I'm saying? It's like. And then on the aspect is like when you have a child that it's hard for me to kind of put this into a perspective, but the trade-off is, is I'll never have grandkids. The trade-off is, is I'll never lie up, lie awake at night wondering where he is. Wonder if he's out smoking weed or drinking at his friend's house or. It's a very good point. What's his mental ca- uh, capacity? Uh, he has the, it's at kind of like a static level. But it used to be around like the uh, six-year-old. That's his mentality is like a six-year-old. It kind of get a little bit better because he starts developing a little bit more, a little bit more social skills. Um, you know, um, Because the reason that I'm asking that is, is six-year-old. I remember when both my kids were six years old. Right. It wasn't that far away. One of my favorite times because as they become older and my, my oldest is becoming a teenager, they can fucking get on your nerves a little bit because they start becoming smart asses yeah so if i could go back and have my sons look at me as a six-year-old the way they did yeah man no you're 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 actually kind of painting a good picture here and i'm glad you're doing it because i know everybody who has a child with any type of special needs i never once say other i never once hear him say they're a bird they're they're well you you know with derek and his son his like derek said Little Derek cherishes his father. My buddy. It's unconditional love. It's not like he's running up to his father and hugging him, asking for money. Right. You know, he loves his father. 
because he's his father. Right. And it, I, I'm, when I tell you, Kev, it is such a treat to see Derek and little Derek together. But how do you balance that? You're on the road and you're doing shows. You know, it was a balance. Uh, it, it's something that, that has to be done. I've said that a thousand times to like all the guys in the band and stuff like that. So I always say is, um, so we're going out on the road. Uh, we get tour dates and this and that, blah, blah, blah. Blitz kisses his wife or his girlfriend or whatever. And he's like, I'll see you in 30 days or both, whatever. (laughs) Excuse me. I'll see you in 30 days. Dave kisses his wife and his kids. I'll see you in 30 days. And Dee does the same thing. It's like me. I have to put a plan together. I have to find when Lenore can stay with Derek as if not, then I have to find assisted care to come in and stay with the house. But that's been all every, and I've made it happen every single time, but that's part of the process. That's my torch that I have to carry. If I want to continue doing this, it's just a small part to just, because is if I don't do this, I don't know if I'm going to be the same person to my kid. It's not that I'm going to be angry at him. It's, you know, the reason why I do this is because I can provide and it keeps me balanced. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It, it's got to be a constant worry for you out on the road too, isn't it? Well, it is because it, it depends on certain aspects is his, sometimes his behavior can get like elevated. It's hard for him to come down off of that. And there's a way to do that. There's a way to de-escalate, and de-escalating is not escalating with him. You know what I'm saying? It's like, kind of let it run its course. Let the, let the fire rage and let the oxygen starve the fire. You know, don't feed the, don't feed the fire oxygen because it'll just get harder and hotter and hotter and hotter. Just like kind of, you know. I'm going to assume you're the best at de-escalating him. Uh, yeah, I, I, it was, it was a rough road because there's no handbook and you kind of have to go with the punches. I mean, you know, when I was younger, I was a little bit not as intelligent or understanding of all of this. It was aggression, you know, aggression, a meet with aggression, and it never turned out well. I always lost every single time I lost because he doesn't understand the concept of that. He doesn't understand that his semi-aggressive behavior is a bad thing. It's just a natural response. It's like, you know, and my me combating that I lost because it won't affect him in any way, shape, or form. Like at certain times, he would grab my hair and just pull on it. You know what I'm saying? Because he's aggravated. If, and he's strong, too. And if I grabbed his hair and pulled on it, it wouldn't have mattered. Because it doesn't register in his head that this is a wrong thing to do. You understand? Right. So if by me doing that, I lost. I lost the battle. The smartest way is to, what I've found, is to de-escalate things, is to have zero expression. Not to throw fuel on the fire, not to open the door to a raging fire to put, bring it more oxygen. So when he does something wrong or he's acting at a level, it's a stone cold face, no yelling, no nothing. It's just, so if he grabs my hair, I just kindly take his hand and take it off because if he gets a reaction out of me, if he pulls my hair and I I get all like this, he's like, that's my trigger. That's, that's what I'm going to do. He won't stop because he recognizes that. And it's a D de- that's the de-escalation level. It's almost like, you know, yeah, it, whatever you're doing is not going to bother me. So you might as well just stop punch me in the face 30 times. I, uh, I will stand here and I will take it every hit. You'll get, you'll get tired of it 
and he doesn't punch me in the face, but you know, like he'll like slap his hands and I just stand there and just like, okay, are we done? Done. You ever get frustrated at him though? Oh, all the time. But you can't show that frustration. Um, I can in certain, in certain ways. It's not by raising my voice. It's not by aggression. It's by almost counterintelligence. (laughs) It's, it really is, is because that's the way he kind of understands things. It's like, uh, actually he knew that I was coming up, like I was leaving the house today usually. And like, so he kind of puts these, he's very smart on a lot of things. It's really sickening. Sometimes it's scary as I have to sleep with one eye open sometimes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the, you know, the, the nunchucks over on the side, just in case. So he knew that I was going and he kind of, he goats Lenore all the time. He goats her, goats her and goats her because he knows that he can kind of push her buttons when I was getting ready to leave, he was like getting a little bit aggravated and I was, you know, like, and I said to him, I said, do me a favor. I gave him a kiss on the head and I said, I love you to death. I want you to be a good boy. And when I get home, if you're a good boy, we'll put your comfy pants on. Bingo. <laughs> it's those little tiny things. You know Can what I I'm saying? Can I get a pair of those comfy pants? Yeah. But if I was to go in there, guns blazing and say, listen, this I'm is gonna, what's happening. I'm going to beat your asses if you, you know, I find out or anything like that. Then he would be like, oh yeah, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. And it's not going to affect me. But that's a good lesson for a, a parent with a child that doesn't have special needs. That type of de-escalation. You see this all the, and in, in Colt's neck, you probably see it more and more and more because of the type of population that's there where you see very wealthy kids, they get everything they desire. Mm-hmm. And what happens when they don't get everything they desire? They'll start throwing Throw a tantrum and the, fit. and the parents will give into it because they're given a reaction to their bad behavior. Well, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's a, it's a reaction. You know, yeah. I always said is like, you know, if I had a kid that would just come up here and dump everything off the table. And I yell and scream at that kid. And, you know, when we get into this fight, he won. You understand yeah, we, need to, we need to work on my behavior. Right. You're like, you need to start schooling me right. on my behavior. As if, as if well, example is like, as if I go up to somebody and just punched them in the face, right? And they just sit there and take it and walk away. It's like, it didn't react. They, they're not reacting, you know? The scariest time I ever spent in a bar, I was bouncing. And I went and I punched a guy in the face, all right? Because the guy was being a bonehead. He was doing something. So I went up and he wouldn't listen. I just pop. He turned his head and looked at me deadpan. No smile, no frown, no anger. And I remember going, oh, fuck. fuck." (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. The no reaction scared me (laughs) so much. It does. Because then you don't know what what your next move is. Like when I do that to him, he doesn't know what his next move is. The next move is, is like, well, I could do this, but it's not really going to do anything. So you know what? I might as well just stop. How did did you learn this technique? uh, Trial and error. I was going to say trial and error. Yeah. Like I said. So wait a minute. You developed this technique as it pertains to your son, which I think, which I think is universal to every child. No. Well, it was like uh, definitely trial and error because like I said in the beginning, it was, I didn't understand my thing was always is that you, you you meet aggression with aggression and then- That's the way I was- Right. That's the way I- And sometimes when you're trying to make your point across, you know what I'm saying, is especially in Derek's position because like I said, it doesn't matter to him at all. I mean, it won't. We would go out, he would do it for hours and hours and hours and it wouldn't make a difference. So I was just like, something's got to give, something's got to be. 
I kind of just gave this a shot one time that when, you know, he was misbehaving or something like that. I think it was when I was giving him a shower or something and he wanted to, he wanted to grab the the handle and do something like that. And I, I took his hand and I put it on his hand because I don't want him to pull the hot water all the way forward, you mm-hmm. know, and scald himself. So I just put my hand on his hand on the shower and then he took his other hand and he just grabbed my hair and he pulled it down. And I just said, at this moment, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to not say anything and I'm going to take his hand, not, not a word, and then just continue what I'm doing. And I saw it in his eyes. He was like, that's weird. Yeah, <laughs> this is strange. <laughs> and then it kind of just from there, it kind of got like, kind of went down that type of road, especially like on certain aspects is he's very, he has a slight, uh, slight autism. Right. So he likes to repeat things over and over and over. Like he'll say bus 10,000 times. He'll, he'll wake me up in the morning or when I go wake him up, he'll say, da, bus. And I'll say, not today, tomorrow. Bus, I just gave you the answer. Bus. <laughs> but if you get pissed off, right? Well, yeah. yeah. So, or but, hi. But, but yeah. Hi. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> but the other, the other aspect of that is, is that how I start de-escalating that is I don't answer them. Mm-hmm. I just go about my way and then he'll keep going. He'll say, da, 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 da. And I'll just look, look at him and he'll say bus and I'll look away. And then all of a sudden he stops doing it because he's not getting that reaction. I think I, I know for a fact he knows how to order things off the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did he order? Yeah. What, one of the times that they were going out on tour, um, Derek asked me and a friend of mine to watch little Derek for the weekend. So he was over my friend's house. All of a sudden, they're getting alerts on their phone that <laughs> he, they gave him his their his iPad or whatever, and he's just sitting there ordering all different movies and everything. You get like a hundred dollars here, hundred dollars here. That'll teach you. Right. They had to put the parental controls back on the computer. There's, a, there's another, and there's a new entry in your book on how to work with your son. Well, speaking of that, is that after that incident? Uh, when I got him home, we bought him one of those Kindles cause he loved it so much, you know? So we were like, okay, we'll get him one. And, uh, this is an amazing story, an amazing story. <laughs> so he plays with it every day. You know, he goes on, uh, we gave it to him. We gave him headphones so we could sit there cause he doesn't really understand the volume type of thing. Um, he does in his headphones, but if like, he'll have it blasting loud. So he would just go on and look at like videos, you know, whatever. So one day, me and Lenore are sitting on the couch, and he's sitting on the other couch, and he's playing his game, waiting for the bus, and he goes, ugh, ugh. Right? He's, and I'm, we're like going, what are you doing? He's like, ugh, ugh. And I'm like, what? So he shows us what's on his tablet, oh and my God. it's homosexual sex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I was... <laughs> yes. It's two guys. Like, it's a video. And I'm like... How did you get that? He typed in Mike Felice. <laughs> but it was just, his reaction to that was unbelievable that he was like, ah, ah. Because, you know, well, every parent wants to, wants to know at some time what right. the kid's reaction is going to be. So, but we, so we and Lenora are like, how in the world did we get that? So 
We took it, we wiped out the entire thing, and then we reset it to the kid's profile. Yeah, so now yeah, all he has yeah. to do is go on Disney. And it yeah. was just, it was, but it was just so funny how he just was like, <laughs> and we were shocked too. He's like, we're like, cause sometimes he'll do that. If somebody is like, you know, walking through mud or something yeah. like that, he'll be like, ugh, ugh, or has garbage or anything like that. And, but it was, we we're like, what the hell are you talking about? And he shows it to us and we're like, oh my God. <laughs> and big Derek started going, oh, was, ah, ah. <laughs> was mud what he was searching up? And that's what he found. I don't know what he was. I don't know what was going on there. Mud but we, pushing. But we, uh, we remedied that really fast. That's awesome. Really fast. That's awesome. My, my wife once, she had to run in, when my son was younger, she was running into the shower. So she puts a, a movie on for him and puts him in the little playpen area. Well, she doesn't know what to put on. So she puts on what she thinks is a Christmas movie. She puts on bad Santa. <laughs> so I don't know if you ever saw bad yeah, Santa, I did. but there's one part where they're in a dress room and there's things going he, on. He, yeah. He tells her uh, you're not going to shit right for a week. Right. And my wife comes out of the, out of the bathroom and this guy's having sex. She goes, Oh my God. Oh my God. Please stop. Please stop. Please stop. I said, you put on bad Santa. what do you think was going to happen? Right. You, you really need to talk to people about your methods for working with your son. Well, every one, every one of them is different. I mean, that works for Derek. It might not work for, but there's a variation of what you're doing yeah. that, that could work for every, I know I'm, I'm listening to you right now and my kids are nine and 12 and I'm, I'm thinking about ways that I do it wrong. I give reaction no. on place times I shouldn't give reaction. It really works to the detriment to what I'm trying to do. Right. I think, I think that also, you know, especially, I'm a certain type of parent, okay? I'm a parent of a special needs child, which is not like what my dad was to me. My dad was a parent of a semi-special needs child. <laughs> not, but what I'm saying- Not diagnosed special What needs. I'm saying was, is that my dad, I, I kind of maybe learned this from my dad, is that there, the worst thing that I could do in this, I, I could probably have- burnt the house down. I remember pulling in my dirt bike and I scratched his car, never laid a hand on me, never, ever laid a hand on me, never freaked out on me. He would just guilt me to death. And that was the worst That's punishment. I'm disappointed I'm in disappointed you. Disappointed in you. Yeah. That was, I mean, like I would, I, I would say to him, I would say, get the belt, give me a beating. <laughs> just don't like, you know, it, just like, like walking past me in the hall, you know what I'm saying? You know, not putting, you know, giving you a tap, say, Hey, what are you doing? This is not just being just like, I'm like, Oh, uh, that's the psychological aspect. Yeah. And that's what I'm thinking, you know, like when it comes to, you know, Derek, it's the psychological aspect. It's, you know, that. That cuts deeper than any sharp knife. That, that's probably where you picked it up from, from your father. Uh, probably. And you're not doing it in a mean way. You're no. just trying to stop bad behavior, and it seems to be the most effective. Right. Because right? that behavior is always going to be there. It's not like uh, next week he's just going to stop being a mm. dick. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, he is. Again, he's a dick sometimes. He's a total dick. Our, our <laughs> conversations were, and when you started talking, I'm like, Oh, so you say your son has special needs, but he's no different than anybody else's child. <laughs> yeah, well, he he can, like I said in the beginning, zero to ten, and like that. I mean, right. it's you know. But what's the what's the long term concerns that you have of having a child with special needs? Because eventually um, you're going to become a little too old to handle them. Yeah, yeah, that's a uh, that's a really big concern of mine. I will do it until the day I am. 100% unable to do that. And it will probably, it will probably kill me because I will, ne I, 
I don't surrender. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like, you would have to cut my legs off and literally me be paralyzed not to take care of that kid. Will that day come? You know what I'm saying? And there's, there's two sides to this and which we were, which I was thinking about. The one thing that I am saddened about, okay, is, well, there's two things. There's two things. I'm saddened about the day that I can't do that anymore, that he won't be with me. And then there's the other sad part is that he will be completely alone in this world. And that, that I can't do anything about it. You know what I'm saying? But that is really heavy on me. For that, example, that, that thought's got to scare the shit out of it you. It totally does because right now his life is all us, his family, you know, Lenore and I at the house and everything like that. That's what his life is. I mean, if you just pulled us out, his life would completely change. Like he would be like, I mean, let's just say there's no more than me and Lenore. There's no more family and there's no nothing. And Derek is, you know, 59 years old. He's all by himself. He's on his own. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, people will be taking care of him, but it won't be, that freaks me out. Like what happened? And he's not, at six, year old, six years old, he's not going to understand that mom and dad aren't around anymore. He's just going to think they, they left on tour. He's, he, the other thing about him though, is that he does adapt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like when I go out on the road, it's like, you know, sometimes it's pretty funny is like, you know, when I call home and, you know, Laura says, you want to talk to Derek, it's like, you know. Hey, Jubs, what's going on? You know, and he's like, ah, blah, 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 blah. And then he's like this, because he's too busy doing what he's doing, you know? Right. It's kind of a blessing in a way is because that doesn't escalate his behavior. But in, in another sense, it's kind of depressing in a way. It's because I could be gone for two days or 60 and it, it wouldn't matter to him. You know what I'm saying? But the, the aspect of him being alone alone yeah. without anybody to like you know check in on him just say yeah, his, you know see it, what's what's going on do, does he have like concept of prolonged periods of time no he has zero conception of time actually that zero that might be a blessing ease, in disguise yeah a blessing in disguise not ease your mind but the fact that he has you're telling me he has no concept of zero that. yeah but he, you know, one day he's going to wake up and he's going to be he's going to get he's going to have arthritis and he's not going to understand it right i mean that that that's an odd thing for me to or start. he's going to have something wrong with his kidneys and he's just gonna the only thing he could do is say nurse nurse he can't tell the doc well it hurts here it hurts here it's like you know it, it's it, it's an unknown package you know what i'm saying I, you know that's an interesting point i wonder how many children like your son who have serious medical issues that they can't diagnose because the person can't explain to the doctor what's going on right and that it ultimately hurts them long term. Right. Well, you know, the aspect of that is is kind of like what we went through yesterday. Uh or yesterday when we took him to the neurologist. There's a there's a gigantic clog that we there's a problem that really kind of doesn't have a solution. It does have a solution, but the solution is not attainable. And my point is is that we know that Derek has cerebral palsy. There's a there's a damage to his brain. So we don't know how badly that damage is, or is it getting worse because he's getting older? Now he's having these seizures, you know, is the seizures because he used to have like one little one, one month, and then it would be fine. Now, like when he gets one in the morning, it's a cluster of them throughout the day. 
then it stops for like three months. He won't have any more. It's not like a day in day out thing. It's just like, oh, every once in a while. But when it happens, there's a bunch of them and then it stops. We don't know what's going on up in there and we can't know what's going on in the, up in there because of him. Mm-hmm. For example, he can't have a CAT scan and he can't have an EKG. He can't because he will not allow it. Yeah. He, he, he won't sit still for that. He long. will not. There's not a chance. We already tried to do an EKG thing on him and they tried to put the things on his head. He was just like, nope, 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 nope. And what I you, do the same thing, so don't blame your son. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's I, like, do, I do. There's, I do. Kevin's got special needs I too. Do. <laughs> but there, there's, that's the problem. We know the solution, but we can't get to the solution. And I asked the doctor the other day, I was like, what can you do? He says, the only thing you could do is you can kind of like, you know, we can't really diagnose the problem if there is a problem. And they they can't sedate him for anything like no, that. No, because the certain brain activity yeah. has to be conscious. Conscious, you know? exactly. It's like a downside of that type of thing, you know, and it's like. I know your son has probably contributed to the betterment of your life tenfold worse than anything he's troubling you with. Are you kidding me? It's, yeah, absolutely. So talk about some of the positive things he's brought to your life. The positive things, well, number one, he absolutely makes me a better man, without a doubt. Responsible, focused, not being, you know, careless in any way, shape, or form, because I have to be the captain of the ship. There's no first mates. There's no, you know, I'm the captain. I have, you know, Lenore is definitely there helping me out and doing everything and cares for him greatly. But in the bottom line, it, it's, it's, you know, I'm the captain of the ship. Now, where's his mother? Uh, I don't know. I have no idea where she is. Are you kidding me? Now, as a father, that to me is, I don't rough. care. I, you know what? She made a decision. More for you. She made a decision many, many years ago. And to be honest with you, I think that's the best decision she's ever made. Right. Now you get to have them all to yourself. Hey, listen, you know, and every day, every day with that kid, you know, some days are bad and some days are, but it is, there's, there's nothing like seeing that kid's face, knowing that he, when he says dad, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And he'll, and just even 32 years old. You know, he's, we put up the Christmas tree and he's like, oh, he still believes in Santa Claus, still believes in the Easter bunny, still believes, you know, is he'll Wait, always be that. Still believes. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it, it, it's funny because <laughs> when, when Derek brings little Derek to overkill shows, his face just lights up the room. Well, does he, he know gets, his dad's a rock star? He mm. gets, his, his dad doesn't know he's a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> no, but his, his I mean, he's just so happy to see everybody. And he's always calling everybody over and wants to show him stuff and everything. I mean, he's he's like the life of the party. He really is. But then the, there's a problem with that is the overstimulation. The, the overstimulation, yeah. The overstimulation. So it, that's part of the autistic thing with it, the overstimulation. It, 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 yeah. it gets to a point where he feeds off of- Other the, people's energy or- He feeds yeah. off of the attention, okay? And then when he's feeding off the attention from Mike or Mitch or this one or that one or this and that, blah, blah, blah- Suddenly, Lenore and I become Satan. <laughs> You're we taking do. him away from the attention. We are the worst people on the planet. As much <laughs> as he loves me and this and that, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we get we get out of there. We get him away from that. He's the best kid in the world. But you, it's such overstimulation that he is just on another level. And that's why kind of a lot of times is I don't really want to bring him around, you know, because he is so... It's just so much for him and it's hard for us to wrangle him in once that is, it's like, you know, 
like we went to a party the other day at my friend's house and we walked in, everything is fine. This and that doesn't, we wanted to leave and he didn't want to leave me and Lenore couldn't bring him outside. He had to have a uh, friend, Holly's husband, Ed, walk him out the doors because that's, he was trying to control this, this, this situation. You follow what I'm saying? Yes. It's the attention of it. We, we got to this party. We're both the worst, worst people on the planet. Whatever we say, it's time to go home. No, I'm not going home. To have this person say, that's why it's like, it's, it's tough. It really is on those aspects. And I wish it wasn't that tough, you know? Where, where can we find you? Cause we're coming to the end here. Right here. Well, obviously right here, but <laughs> where, if, if our listeners wanted to reach out to you or to look for you, where can we find you? Just on Instagram. At the real Derek Taylor, that's it. Uh, I'll, I put a, I'll put a link up in our show I notes. I don't subscribe to any other social media platform. And to be honest with you, I don't even know how long I'm going to be on Instagram because <laughs> I'm just so, I'm not a social media guy. Was, I just did that just because I was bored and I wanted yeah. to do something. It's like. You know, it's funny. When I started up my Instagram, I was going to put the fake Derek Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> See, you, you got to realize something about Derek. Derek is like the king of dick pictures. No, my God. They, they will be like out on tour, and I'm on a whole text thread with like all the guys from Overkill oh and, and one other guy, this guy, Phil. Just out of nowhere, just like a picture will pop up. Please. Absolutely. You know, you're, he's saving it in his spank bank. Well, we all, we all, Blitz, Blitz said this one time, and it's completely 100% true. It's like when, if, if he dies... Right, Mike. Please. Right. If something happens to Mike and they open up his phone, <laughs> they, see, they see the hundreds of thousands of dick pics in there. <laughs> it's gonna. So that's why, like, when he would send it to us, we would be like, "Oh, that's funny. I have to delete this first because if this is if somebody opens my phone and sees this is the last thing I'm looking at, <laughs> you know, it's funny because I like when they're out on tour, I'll I'll just like go on the internet and find out where they are and like when the show time it they'll be in like buttfuck Missouri or something like that. Like half hour before the show, I'll just send them all a dick picture. <laughs> uh, thank God I'm not that tight with you. Thank God I'm not that tight with you. We're coming to the end of this thing here. And I, I got one last question for you. It's you play music at such a high level. I want to know what is better playing for an arena filled with 10 or 20,000 people or being friends with Mike Felice? Oh my gosh. Come on. That's gotta be an easy answer. right? Definitely there. being friends with Mike. Felice. <laughs> I've had, I, you know, to be honest with you, I've had much more laughs being friends with Mike Felice than playing in an arena to 10,000 people. <laughs> and I don't, I don't even like those types of shows. I don't, I, what I like is I like the 1,000, 1,500 seat clubs that the stage is right here and this and that, and the audience is right there. I don't like big, huge. When we play these festivals, yeah. I hate it. I, I absolutely hate it. The audience is like so far away. It's like you can't interact with them. It's like. You get no connection to maybe. Yeah. It's so weird. You know, it's like we played, you know, throughout, that's the way I've been playing throughout my career. You play these little, small, shitty little clubs and the people are right here. And sometimes, you know. Like, you know, when we did that show at the Wellmont, you know, there, there's, they always have now these big theaters, they have the photo pit and everything like that, but the people are still kind of close. They're not right up against the stage, but they're still kind of close, but you pay these festivals, it's like five yards away. It's like, and when we played with Metallica, it was insane because they had their ego ramps out there. It was like, they were 150 feet away from us. That's where the audience was. And we're on stage. It's like, it's like a rehearsal. It's like, you know, yeah. there's no, like soundtrack. there's, you know. 
but I, I like those those types of those types of uh, clubs, uh, those types of shows. You know. Well, if you if you met up with a young musician who's looking to get into the music business, out of your career in music, mm-hmm. you're professional. You're a professional musician. What do you, what kind of advice do you think you'd give him? Um, I would, besides anesthesiologist, <laughs> um, oh, I, I would just, I would say that, um, there's no failure. There's no failure. You have focus. Let that focus guide you until you don't want to do it anymore. You know what I'm saying? Cause there's going to be a point on one time. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I want to stay home. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be stuck in a, you know, Czechoslovakian you know, airport at four thirty in the morning, you know what I'm saying? And waiting for another flight, you know, just follow, you know, do what you want to do. I would say that there, there is no, there's no plan B. You want to be, you want to be a guitar player in a thrash metal band or a pop band and write great songs. There is no plan B. You're going to, you know what? You're going to, you're going to eat a bunch of ramen noodles. You're going to play a bunch of <laughs> shitty shows. Nobody is going to like you. Every single person on the planet that comes in contact with you is going to want to take all of your money and exploit you. There is no failure because the first person that exploits you, you learn from that. And you're like, that ain't going to happen again. Yeah. Now I'm going to do it this way. You know, right. you don't want to be left out there with nothing and ready to give up. Yeah. I forget when my father said one time, there's, there's never been a heavyweight boxer a heavyweight champion of the world that only fought one fight. You got a point there. Never, it's never happened in a million years. He's, I like that too. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's not like you train for boxing, you go fight. Oh, I'm, 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 champ. I'm, I'm the champ. No, there's a long, there's a long list. There's a lot of ass kickings you have to give and get before <laughs> you get to the long and winding road yes. to the top. Yep. I, I did run into one of your friends last night. He told me to say hi. Who is that? Gravel face Morales. <laughs> I, I've heard this story. Yes, you're talking. They, is it Ditch Morales or Gravel Face? <laughs> well, listen. He he calls he calls him he calls him Gravel Face, which I think is outstanding. But I have him in my phone as Ditch. <laughs> I do. So what I'm going to do? Yes. I I want you all to go to the real at the real Derek Taylor on Instagram, and I want in order to or at Dented Ace. And I want you to ask these guys what either Ditch Morales is or Gravel Face Morales, <laughs> and they will fill you in. It's, I wish, it's, okay, this it's is going to be same a, person. This but. is going to be a suffering podcast <laughs> contest. We will reach out to you. But oh my! Also, God. put in there too is that I'm not real big or not real good at replying to a lot of people because <laughs> sometimes I don't go on Instagram for a couple of days. So, okay, Derek, thank you so much for coming in. It was a pleasure. You're an amazing man. Thank you very much. You're a great rock star, but that pales into comparison with the work you're doing with your son. Like I said, he's one of the greatest people I know. That's really an amazing is. thing. That's playing guitar is not my job. That's my career. My job is being a dad. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Suffering Podcast. So let's think about all the stuff that we learned today. We learned that Mike Felice's phone is filled with dick pics. <laughs> Got me on that one. Don't become a musician. Become an anesthesiologist. Ego gets in the way of long-term success. What has 10,000 legs and two tits? That's an overkill show. (laughs) Family is everything. But most importantly, don't have a plan B. And that's going to do it for this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of a Rockstar with Derek Taylor. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And we will see you on the next episode of The Suffering Podcast.